Welcome to the Genius Room, an ingenious podcast. At Ingenious, a small web design and digital marketing agency in Greenville, South Carolina, we're focused on helping local businesses grow and thrive. We love to educate and inform. In that spirit, we wanted to share some of our insights and conversations with you. This episode of the Genius Room comes from an interview with Adela Mendoza, Executive Director of the Hispanic Alliance, an organization which helps bridge the gap between Hispanic communities and local resources. Over the course of this discussion, we talk about what is needed to create an ecosystem of opportunity in Greenville, how the Hispanic Alliance is working towards that goal, the shortcomings of quote-unquote inclusivity, and the importance of stepping out of our comfort zones to bring about real change in our communities. One of our mics malfunctioned during this most recent interview, but the only real difference is the questions might be a little quieter than usual. Don't let that deter you, though, because this talk is a great one. Enjoy! Uh, so Adela is joining us. She is a native of Veracruz, Mexico, where she earned her Bachelor of Arts Communications and Journalism from the University of... Um, Universidad del Valle. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were practicing before. <laughs> he was doing fine. He just, he just got a little mic shy. As the Executive Director of the Hispanic Alliance, Adela is helping to build a collective capacity to embrace the emerging Hispanic population as a thriving, productive, and positive contributor to the community at large. Um, her community work has been recognized by the YMCA and Greenville Forward, uh, and she has been selected by the Greenville Business Magazine as one of the best and brightest 35 and under. Uh, so we are excited that you are Thank you. Um, so, Adela, you're, you have a dream for South Carolina, that we collectively will build an ecosystem of opportunity where every person has access to the conditions and resources to thrive. Um, what exactly does that look like? So I need to say, I was very impressed when he called me to sort of prep for this because he had actually read my bio, and that's what I put at the end of my bio. Um, because I just find that bios can get, so, can get so boring, and it sounds a little very, you know, kind of just bragging about it. But the, the point is what, what brought you here is not going to get you there, right? So for me, uh, when I think about that ecosystem of opportunity that we have to create in South Carolina, I think the manifestation of that would be that every child can pursue whatever dream they may have, that they can pursue whatever life uh, they, they dare to dream, free of fear, free of limitation, free of economic, uh, unnecessary economic limitations, especially in a country that, is so, that has so much wealth, like the US. Um, for me, when I was a student here in, uh, in the US, I was really amazed by the disparities that I saw. I think that coming from Mexico, where you really are surrounded or in close proximity with poverty, no matter where you live. I mean, you, you drive one block, and you know you can be in the safest, nicest um, neighborhood, and then you turn the corner and you see extreme poverty. But then here it's the same. You know, we, we don't have to go very far, probably a mile or two miles, and you see people living in conditions that I don't think are worthy of the American dream. As an immigrant, I relate, obviously, you know, very, uh, very much to the idea of the American dream and that the next generation should be better off than, than we are. And so to me, when I think about the, the ecosystem that we need to create, it is a collective effort. It is something that we do consciously in everything that we do. And it's not a jo the job of the nonprofit sector. I think that especially with so much international industry and with the, the corporate wealth that is coming to our, to our community, we have to figure out how everything that we, every decision that we make is being made socially responsibly. It's okay to create wealth, but it's also, 
indispensable that we created for, for others. Prosperity should not belong to just a few. So I'll stop. I know you have many questions, so I just got. <laughs> Your role is leading the Hispanic Alliance, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and you're passionate about kind of this vision and this dream. What what is the Hispanic Alliance kind of doing to help us get you know help us achieve that dream? I, I think that what we really are doing is sort of leading a new way of building community. We're bringing people who are who may be perceived as very different, definitely from cross sector across cultures, but we are coming together with a common goal of ensuring that. The Hispanic population, which is one of the minority populations that still have many gaps to access opportunity, actually find that bridge of a, that will connect them to opportunity. More specifically, these last two years, we have been focusing on dreamers. I'm sure that everyone has, has heard um, the news. And, and, and I think that we've just, our mission has evolved to understanding that, of course, we need to foster that collaborative ecosystem. And, and we're living in that um, kind of culture of empowerment. But our children are not really accessing that. I think that we are still struggling to figure out how we even connect the dots. But our children really, especially when you think about dreamers, they really are not seeing their future beyond high school. And that really concerns us. The fact that you can have an entire generation of one specific population thinking, there is really no point for me to finish high school because I'm not going to be able to go to college. And perhaps I need to provide context as to why that is. So South Carolina and Alabama are the only two states in the US where if you are an undocumented immigrant, you cannot even enroll in a public college, even if you can pay your way. And that just doesn't make sense. That's just, I, I have trouble reconciling you know, the ideals that, that we are supposed to embrace as Americans and then the, the, reason and the reasoning that takes us to make those decisions. And, and I will argue that a big part of the reason why we end up with those kind of decisions that are very exclusionary of you know, um, a certain, certain minority population is because we don't have leadership that is at the table when those decisions are being made. And then through the work of the, the collaborative work of the Hispanic Alliance, we are not only solving those issues and thinking of how we connect people and we collectively go after your dreams or my dreams and, and share kind of that um, empowerment that needs to happen among each other. But we also are thinking of the policies that need to change and who needs to be at the table and what kind of acceleration of leadership needs to happen for those communities to be at those tables, not as a way of inclusion or a favor, but as a way of a necessity to really make the decisions that will take us where I believe Sakharana can get. So I guess what does that pathway look like for, for getting more leaders in that, in that position to do that? It's not an easy path. And I think that uh, lately I've been saying that we have to stop talking about inclusion and we need to start thinking about the expansion of perspectives. I think that I know that inclusion has become this kind of you know, um, popular sort of term. There is something that bothers me deeply about that. Because I think that it is the beginning of opening the door to, to new ideas and to new, to new people. But unless we really take a look at what our uh, misconceptions may be or what our gaps in knowledge are, and unless we become genuinely curious about what the other may think, there is really no point in including someone. Um, I think that for many of us, and, and I'll speak in, you know, from whether it's being a minority as a woman, being the only woman in the room, in the boardroom, et cetera, 
it, it, I am painfully aware with the kind of like the outcome of tokenism, right? I mean, you're invited to a table to represent an entire community, which first of all is not necessarily fair. No one can hold that, <laughs> that much knowledge in their head. But then if you are the only voice at the table, it's going to be very difficult for others to really relate. However, when you start having critical, you know, presence in the boardroom or in organization, community, you know, leadership groups, then there is a true dialogue. And I don't think that it's the responsibility of the African-American community to have an African-American representative to voice their opinions. I don't think that there is responsibility of a woman to represent the voices of all women. I think that we need to get to that level of dialogue in which you raise the question as to why don't we have women represented here? Or why don't we have people from the West End represented in the, you know, in the room where we're making decisions as to what's going to happen there? So that's kind of the, those are the steps that need to be taken in a very intentional way, I think. So what does that look like for, you know, for individuals to get in, I mean, to, to get in, engaged in that, to, to actually participate and, and kind of help us get towards, you know, towards that dream, towards that, that vision of where inclusion is not just this buzzword, right. but it's actually something we're embracing. I, I think it, there is really, it comes down to the individual responsibility and sort of, it, this may sound very simplistic, but I need to, I think we need to embrace curiosity again. I think that just with the fragmentation that we are seeing in our communities across America right now, it's almost more difficult than ever to venture into kind of, you know, raise your hand and say, I may not belong in your community, but I am truly curious and I really want to help. And it's a two-way street, right? Um, a big part of what I, makes me very proud of being part of the Hispanic Alliance is that even though the name is Hispanic Alliance, a big part of our network are not Hispanic or bilingual. And that is the beauty of our network, that we really are focused on an end goal, regardless of how we look, where our life may have started, whether it was in the US, different countries, what language may be my first language. So there is, a, there is that culture of acceptance and embracement of this stranger that may come and say, I want to be part of you guys. And I think that, I know, again, it's very simplistic, but I really do believe that that is the key to moving forward our country right now, is just having kind of like that courageous leadership to go and say, I don't understand your issues, but I want to learn. And when we approach those relationships with the humility of understanding that I am absolutely imperfect, but I really want to understand, and you're able to accept when someone says that, I think that that's where magic happens. For us at the Hispanic Alliance, we have kind of made this commitment that you can ask us whatever you want. I will never be punitive of someone that comes and asks a question about the Hispanic community that may sound very ignorant, because that's exactly what we need oh, yeah. to move forward. That's great. So kind of help us get to know you a little bit better. You know, <clears throat> okay. you, you mentioned immigrants earlier. I mean, you are an immigrant to yeah. the United States. Um, what brought you from Mexico to Greenville, South Carolina, to, to, to kind of you know take that dream and say this is this is where we can we can make that make it make that a reality well that was a long road but I'm going to try to make it very short I, I think it's luck I think that life just has a way of exposing you to things that you are supposed to be doing so when I initially came I it was never my plan to stay in the US I came to study English I was working for a radio station we're having this conversation before and I really just wanted to go back to Mexico and, and I saw my life happening there I ended up meeting the person who is my husband now, so I got married. Um, it was a long time, you know, I met him, went back to Mexico, came back, went back to Mexico, and so when you are 24, your life changes 
so quickly and you don't even think about, you know, the big decision that it means to move to a different country. But then even as an immigrant, I, I had opportunities that many others didn't have. And I think that to me that was one kind of the, an eye-opener, the fact that given that I was educated, given that I, that I had access to opportunities that I didn't really work for, I was able to kind of create a different future for myself. But the parents of immigrants that we are serving through the Hispanic Alliance work just as hard as my parents. So our paths are very similar. The only difference is the access to opportunity that I had and that many people don't have. And so I think that just over the period of maybe 10 years, I just really struggled with that um, inequity. And I, it really bothered me that I wasn't doing anything about it. So I continued to pursue sort of a corporate career, et cetera. But it just got to be something that bothered me enough to do something. And then now, 10 years later, I'm still in the nonprofit sector. I used to be a, a, a full-time volunteer. And I'm very fortunate that my volunteer work became my work. Um, and for the rest, I mean, it's, I think that Grimble is a unique community. And I think that when you are an outsider, Grimble has a way of just accepting you and embracing you. And, and yeah, so that's, that's about it. So in terms of <laughs> what is I, there are a lot of conversations going on nationally about the role of you know, immigration and things like that. In mm -hmm. terms of, of Greenville and kind of where we sit here, you know, what are what are some of the things that we see, or what are some of the things that you're seeing um, that, that the business community should be aware of when it comes to the Hispanic community mm -hmm. in, in our city? I think that one one conversation that is starting to happen more and is positive is we have an issue with workforce, right? Even if you were to put every single unemployed person to work, we still have 20,000 jobs in Sacramento that we simply don't have people to, you know, to put to work. And I think that we have to elevate that conversation from, if I'm a corporate leader, from what I need and the needs of my business and how I feel, you know, to how do I create that ecosystem of opportunity, whether it's education, you know, special programs. We are getting there, but we are not there yet. There is a long way to go. And I think that we need to educate ourselves, we need to find a way to, to be thinking in a more comprehensive way about the world in which we live now. I think that, that the corporate sector has a huge responsibility to get involved, and the nonprofit sector has a huge responsibility to get that corporate sector involved. You and I have had many of these conversations, you know. Um, I think that that is what is missing. I think that we're still working in silos, even though we are a very, very collaborative community, I don't think that we're making the connections as to the responsibility that the public sector, the corporate sector, and the nonprofit sector have to come together and figure out how we are going to build that pathway to opportunity for the next generation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of speaking about, you know, coming together and, and, and getting out of those silos, what are some examples that, that you see that are happening in our community that, that are creating more of that, you know, actual, you know, inclusion, actually more of, uh, more understanding of, of different people? I think that the partnerships that we are, not to be too focused on corporations, but I think that the partnership we're seeing between the Greenville County School District and corporations, thinking of how do we create that path um, or that bridge, not after college, but starting as early as middle school. I really think that's key, um, especially for underserved populations who, those kids that are living in poverty, they don't really have someone at home. They don't really have that network of kind of cheerleaders that, that believe that the end goal is that you're going to go to college. A lot of kids are not thinking that way. And there is no way for them to build that path for themselves. 
So I think that that is what is appropriate for us as a society to step in and say, okay, without undermining, you know, the, 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 the family structure, how do we create those interventions along the way? On track is a great, great example, right? It's not only enough to really inject the quality education that we need in the schools, but we need to be um, aware that a child that is hungry, a child that didn't have a place to sleep last night, could have the best teacher in the world. But that child is not going to make any progress if he or she is, their, their mind are not in the classroom. And I think that when we start thinking in that kind of, you know, um, in, in that kind of way, that's, I, I hope that that's a way that we're going to solve some of the issues that we're seeing, especially here in Grimble. What is, you know, just kind of from your personal perspective, what is your favorite part about Greenville itself? I think the people. I, I, I really think that Grimble has this magic that just continues to attract very interesting people. Um, I think that I, me I meet a new person every week, um, even without wanting to sometimes, you know. You are so busy that I, I don't really want to, you know. Uh, sometimes I just want to go home and kind of get in my pajamas and take a break. But there are so interesting people in Grimble, really. I mean, you can just go sit in a coffee shop and you can meet anyone from, you know, someone who is just new to Grimble and wants to get involved to someone who has been here for 30 years or forever. And I think it's that awesome mix of, the newness with you know our history, our history here, you know that is kind of like creating this very unique culture that we have. Yeah. That's great. yeah. Um, so clearly, you are you are passionate uh, <laughs> about just our, our community in general. I mean, you know, this is your home. Um, you know, but also kind of bringing people together. What you know, you've been doing this for a while. What drives that? What you know? What kind of keeps you motivated to wake up every morning and and, and keep going? knowing the, the struggles that, that it takes to, to kind of move things towards that dream? I think it has changed constantly over the last five years. I think, not to get political here, but before the last election, I think that I was coming to kind of that um, idea that maybe my work was on and I was ready for something else. And I need to be very honest, I, the, the election just took me by surprise, as it did to many. And it's not personalizing this on you know, our president or any of that. It's just, I think that the tone of our conversations, the, the turn that our conversations nationally have taken, it's something that I just never expected to see in the US. Again, as an immigrant who has chosen this country, my expectations for the US are very high. And I think is that realization, as, just as, as many other uh, immigrant populations you know, before me, many generations before me, it is now my responsibility to ensure that that American dream that made me want to come here is preserved for the next generation. And it's, it has become very complex. Our work has become very different. It's evolving. But I think that that moment when you realize that what you have done so far is not sufficient to take your mission to the next level, I think that that's where growth happens. And for us at the Hispanic Alliance, we're still in that process of understanding what our role needs to be in meeting the challenges that our children are facing and that they are not equipped to really, you know, address by themselves. Um, so I think it's just that desire to ensure that, that we are creating a world in which every child, no matter from what background, no matter what skin their color may be, has the opportunity to 
to aspire to the American dream and have the economic mobility to really achieve it, worries me that we may not be there. Yeah. Now, each of us has a voice. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, every, every person in our community, in our country has a voice. What is, you know, what is one thing that, that each of us can do individually to, to help make that more of a reality, to, to, to help make that dream a reality for each child in America? I think we need to get comfortable with stepping out of our comfort zone. I really think that if there was ever a time where we may want to start volunteering at the unusual places, this is it. I would really, really encourage you, if there is one thing that you can do, I know we have our plates full and we, you know, our days are keep accelerating. But I will say, just cross the, just go across the, the, across town. Go and volunteer at a place where no one looks like you, no one sounds like you. And that goes for everyone. That doesn't go only for people who, you know, necessarily are living in, you know, uh, comfort. I'm thinking that all of us just have to take that step. And, and this may sound very idealistic, but I think it's time for us to let go. I think it's time for us to just, whatever has happened has happened, but, but the future starts today. How are we going to build our future? And, and if we continue to look backwards, we're just not, that is not going to get us where we need to be. That's awesome. Thank you so yeah. much. That's it for this month's podcast. Thank you for stopping by the Genius Room to listen. And as always, if you want to hear more in the future, make sure to subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For October's episode, we'll have an interview with Melissa Halliburton, the CEO of Bring Fido, a company dedicated to helping you bring your furry friend with you on all of your trips. That interview will take place during our next networking event, which is on October 25th at the Warehouse Theater. Doors open at 8 a.m. and the interview starts at 8.30. See you then.